book of Acts chapter 24, and we're going to start at verse 24. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, which was a Jewish, he sent for Paul, and he heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now understand, the apostle Paul, who has traveled the then known world, he is now imprisoned, and he is going to go through some trials, and he wants to go through the right venue because they tried doing some illegal stuff to uh, uh, get Paul uh, killed. But Paul says, no, I, I'm not going to let you guys do that. And so he ends up presenting himself uh, uh, to these gentlemen here that we are reading about. And he is in their presence in chains, and he starts sharing some of the, uh, the faith in Jesus Christ and what God has been doing in the Apostle Paul's life. And as he's talking to the ruler and his wife, we read in verse 25, he spoke and said, He reasoned of righteousness, temperance, which is self-control, judgment to come. The Bible says Felix trembled. Somebody say he trembled. And so this man, this powerful figure who is used to basically being on the other side of trembling. He's, he's used to watching other people cower and capitulate and tremble in his presence. But now he's standing in front of a prisoner and he's trembling in the presence of someone that is in captivity. And as he's trembling, he answers and he says, okay, Paul, you need to just go away for a little while when I have a convenient season I will call for you. It goes on to share that in the motive of Felix was a hope that uh, Paul would bribe him with some money and then he would release Paul and give him uh, a favor and freedom. But Paul did not do that. What's interesting is we read here in the prior verse of Felix trembling and asking for a convenient season. You can have two different types of trembling. You could tremble for fear of what you hear and do nothing about it. Or you could tremble about what you hear and do something about it. Felix heard the gospel and he trembled with fear and did nothing about it. He says, you know what? Maybe down the road when life's a little more convenient, when when I, I'm not in debt or when I'm not, you know, uh, 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 having to meet my probation officer and when my, uh, my marriage is working and when my kids are not acting up and my kids aren't in rebellion, when I have a convenient season, then I will live for God and I'll listen to this whole gospel stuff. But that is not the right way to go about it. We don't get good to get God. We get God to get good. We go to the Lord no matter what season we are in. And if you would go to God in your immediate season, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Not next month is the month of salvation. Not tomorrow is the day of salvation. Someone say today. God wants to do something here today in an individual's life in us as a church. But Paul told the Philippian church that we need to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Felix trembled at the message of the gospel. But God forbid we who have obeyed the gospel no longer have a moving or a stirring of a reverence of what this gospel means in the blood that was uh, this gospel was purchased with. We got to make sure we always revere this blessed, glorious pearl of great prices treasure in the field that God has given us. Someone say, thank you, Jesus. I want us to go on reading just two chapters later in the book of Acts, chapter 26. 
It says, for these causes, the Jews caught me. Once more, Paul, in chains, is witnessing to two rulers, Festus and King Agrippa. And he tells the story of how the Jews caught him, tried to kill him. And he says, God helped him in verse 22. And I'm still alive to this day. I'm witnessing to both small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer, and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead, should show light to the people and to the Gentiles. And as he had thus spake for himself, King Festus, the one who kind of brushed Paul off and said, maybe in a convenient season, I might embrace this gospel. I might embrace this doctrine of you. But here's the truth of the matter is the longer you push it off, the more reasoning and rationale and logic and self-justification will begin to creep in. And down the road, you're no longer going to want this message of repentance. And you're no longer going to want this message of separation. And no longer want this message of baptism in the precious name of Jesus Christ and infilling of the Holy Ghost. And so now we see the nature of this king change because he delayed the day of salvation. I don't want to keep kicking God down the road saying, later on, I'll get it together. I want to get right with God today. Someone say amen. Let's clap our hands to the Lord. And so he cries out with a loud voice to Paul. He says, Paul, you're crazy. You're beside yourself. All this learning, all this studying the Bible and God's word and prophecies, it's made you insane. It's made you a madman. And Paul replies to that. He says, no, I am not insane. I'm not a madman. I know as crazy as I look, as crazy as I sound, I've never had more clear mind and clear thinking than I ever have. If you're here today and you're scratching your head why some people are sweating, raising their hands, clapping their hands, it may appear as if we've lost our sanity. But I promise you, we have found revelation and understanding that we were in change. But now I can lift my hands because there's not chains binding me anymore. We are more clear than we've ever been. Someone say, thank you, Jesus. I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but I'm speaking words of truth. And I'm absolutely sober and in my right mind. In verse 26, Paul continues as the king, King Agrippa, he knows of these things before whom also I speak freely. I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him for this thing was not done in a corner. You might be here and you might think it's random chance, happenstance or coincidence. But I believe God is not hiding anything from anybody today. God wants you to get the full revelation of his plan for your life. And so as he's speaking of this freely to the king, the Bible says in verse 27, Paul asked Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe it. You may not proclaim it amongst your peers and all those around you, but deep down in your heart, you know, there's a God and you know what God has said in his word is true. You know, deep down in the corner of your innermost being, there is a persuasion that there's something more to life than what you're ruling and reigning and governing and things that are under your control. There's some things that are outside of your control and there's a king of kings and there's a lord of lords who sits on the throne and reigns over all you know that it's true 
And as he makes that statement, Agrippa finally replies to Paul. And he says, almost, somebody say almost. Almost you persuade me to be a Christian. What a stirring man of God the Apostle Paul was. That he can preach and that he could wax elegant in the Holy Ghost. And he can make bold declarations and proclamations to the very people that can lop off his head. But he stands there with his shoulders back and his, his standing upright, his flat footed, looking square in the eye of that king, telling him about the death the burial, and the resurrection. He did it so well, and the anointing was upon the Apostle Paul that he began to stir the heart of one of the most influential people in that region. And he says, man, you've, you've almost persuaded me to be a Christian. I want to preach just for the next couple moments with the help of the Lord about almost Christian. Someone say almost Christian. Tap your neighbor, make sure they're staying awake, poke them and say, almost Christian. Let's pray. Let's ask God to talk to us these next few moments. Jesus, I thank you for gathering us together here in your name. Lord, I believe, God, that you have laid something on my heart. And I believe that no man can come to you except the Spirit draw him. And I believe everybody that is sitting in this building that you have divinely orchestrated. And you've compelled them to come and you've drawn them by your Spirit, Lord. And I believe, God, the right word at the right time is going to make all the world a difference. I pray you unplug our ears, take scale off of our eyes help us to hear clearly and see clearly and somebody say in jesus name if you want to receive something from god today would you indicate that by clapping and shouting unto god with a voice of triumph praise god almost christian almost simply put means not quite Almost, but not there. Almost, but not quite. I almost won means I lost. I almost lived means you died. Almost, this girl I met in middle school, we almost dated means you got denied. You could talk about how you almost worked out, but you know what that really means. I almost graduated, but my teacher held me back. I almost got hired means you didn't get hired. I almost got promoted means you didn't get promoted. You are almost funny means you're not really all that funny. You almost got, how how many here almost got invited to the cool person's birthday party? But at the end of the day, you never got invited to the cool person's party. I'm sorry, I'll try to invite you guys next time. I'm just kidding. I'm not the cool person in the room. Almost famous. You're not famous. You almost have a friend means you don't have a friend. Almost means not quite. You know, we were at the Sioux Falls Youth Convention the other week, and every year I am reminded why I do not bowl, because it is the worst activity I could ever participate in. I am a terrible awful, miserable, just pathetic excuse for a bowler. You know, if I bowl a good game, I'm lucky if I do. And I think one time I hit double digits. I am an awful 
bowler. I will get a gutter ball with those gutter guards up. I am a horrific bowler. And if I by chance somehow got a strike every single time on every single frame, but I did not get a strike on the last frame, I could tell people I almost had a perfect game. It still means I did not get a perfect game. Just like the picture above of somebody throwing a dart. It's so close to the bullseye. It's so meaningful and so moving because you look at it and you're like, ah, you just, you want to see it happen, but it doesn't happen. It's almost. Here, when we read this story about King Agrippa and the Apostle Paul having this this uh, dialogue and this 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 witness and this testimony going on. It sounds as if maybe perhaps Agrippa's paying a compliment to the Apostle Paul and saying, man, you're really good at witnessing. You're you're really good at preaching the word. You almost made me come to the altar. You almost ra- made me raise my hand. It's, it's kind of almost like a a backhanded compliment. Saying someone, well, at least you're not the dumbest person in the room. Like, you mean to compliment them by saying they're not the dumbest, but you're saying they're not the smartest either. Or, you know, you're, at least you're not as ugly as your cousin. You know, it, you might pay a semi-compliment, but you're still giving a backhanded compliment. And maybe perhaps that's how the Apostle Paul felt. He, he's thankful that his, his, his testimony moved him, but it didn't move him enough to cross the finish line. Because he almost became a Christian means he did not become a Christian. We read here in the book of Mark chapter 12 and verse 28, something somewhat similar. We read that a scribe comes to Jesus after hearing all of Jesus' wisdom. And he asks this sincere question in verse 28. He says, I want to know what's the most primary uh, commandment of all commandments. What rises to the top? What is the first commandment of all commandments? And Jesus answers that question. He says, the first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these, is what Jesus spake. And the scribe replies, Well, Master, you said the truth. There's only one God. And there's none other but he. I will pause. This is not the focus of today, but it would be a good mental note for you to jot down, perhaps, that the priority of all commandments is there's only one God and one God alone. We worship and one God alone. We praise when it comes to the doctrine of the deity of Jesus Christ. It's not a matter of semantics, potato, potato, tomato, tomato. It is the priority of all commandments that there is only one God and his name is one. And is Jesus Christ. That at the name of Jesus, every knee bows and every tongue confesses. Jesus Christ is Lord. Someone shout the name of Jesus. Jesus. 
Someone say, man, you guys are hung up on this one God doctrine. Well, the Bible says the Jesus is the one that said all the commandments hang on these two things. So, yeah, I guess I am a little hung up on Jesus is God. And I'll, I'll just keep on hanging on that because that's the whole word of the prophets and the word of God. It rests on a one God doctrine. Someone, are you thankful for the revelation of the mighty God in Christ? And so he says, you're right, Jesus. There's only one God and none other but he And to love him with all your heart, with all. Someone say all. Not some of your heart, but all of it. And not some of your understanding, but all your understanding. Some people give all their mental intellect into this. And that is good. But don't leave out the emotional aspect of it. you got to be emotional about this God that we serve. And some people are all emotional, but they have no substance about what they're emotional about. You need to gain some understanding. I don't want to just be an emotional person about Jesus. I want to understand as much as I can about Jesus. But I don't want to merely have emotion and understanding about Jesus. I want my soul immersed in this. I want my spirit, my innermost being. Being immersed inside of what God is doing in the church. And then we go on here. He says that we are to love him with all of our strength. I don't want to just be emotional about Jesus. I don't want to just be spiritual about Jesus. And I don't want to just be logical about Jesus. I want to physically display with strength and emotion how I feel about Jesus. Only doing One, two, or some of those things is partially completing the most important commandment. I don't want to almost complete the most prioritized commandment of all. I want to fully engage my adoration for Jesus Christ. I want to read and study his word. I want to weep in his presence and be moved. I want my spirit to be blended with his spirit. And I want to physically with my strength. I like to leave church sometimes pulling a hamstring. I like to leave church sometimes getting a bruise on my shin because I might have hit the corner while I was running the aisles. I like to have some physical indication of how much I love Jesus Christ. Someone clap your hands to the Lord. But in verse 33, as we're reading here, he says, I know this is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Jesus is very rare in Scripture. And I can only uh, uh, maybe think of this particular instance and one other, and that would be Nicodemus, where a Pharisee, a scribe, a Sadducee approached Jesus, and Jesus did not, like, pummel them. <laughs> Usually it's like, you hypocrite, you brood of vipers, you know, who, who hath warned you? You know, it, it, Jesus was always just, like, about that much patience with these kind of people. But Jesus replies to this particular one, And he says to him discreetly, wow, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And so I guess he could, comparatively speaking to other scribes and Pharisees, feel pretty good. Like, man, Jesus didn't lap off my head. And Jesus was actually kind of nice to me. Because, you know, uh, he usually basically yells at my friends and rebukes my friends and chastises my friends. But he spoke in a soft tone and manner. And he says, I'm so close to heaven. When you consider this remark, it's comforting. And yet also convicting. 
It's comforting to hear Jesus say, you're right there. Come on, you're right there. But I don't want to just be that close to the kingdom of God. I, I don't want to live my life on planet Earth with this little span of time that I have to see a heaven and hear about heaven and to get right to the gates of heaven only to hear them close right in front of my face and have to line up with all of the other goats. You could say a sheep and a goat, they're almost alike, but almost is not quite the same thing. The sheep, they might sound similar to a goat, but they're still not the same thing. I don't want to almost sound like a sheep and end up being a goat. I want to be a part of the flock of God. I want to hear the voice of the shepherd say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. If you are here today and you find that you're an almost, you need to find someone who's all there. If you're right here right now and you are just always been kind of an almost person, I almost get first place and I almost preach and I almost prayed and I almost read my Bible and I almost came last Sunday and I almost showed up on Wednesday Bible study and I almost came to church on Tuesday to pray and I almost witnessed. If you're an almost person, you need to find someone that's not almost. You need to find someone that's all there. This is why we must be a disciple. We got to find someone that's all there that's following Christ. I want to follow them as they follow Christ. I want to be brought under some sort of spiritual authority that's all there and say help me to get there as well because I've lived my whole life almost teaching Bible studies and almost being an altar worker and almost helping out at the church and almost waking up to go to that district event and I don't want to be an almost individual I want to be all in I want to be all there. Someone say, praise the Lord. I, I almost got a hole in one. That's not a hole in one. You're still going to get, you know, par or birdie, or maybe you're going to triple double bogue. I, I have no idea. Getting almost hole in one is still not the same as getting a hole in one. Maybe you've ever seen one of those golf highlights and uh, where, where uh, the golfer hits it and it goes in the air. And it literally, I've seen it where it lands in the cup. It like pins straight, but then it bounces right out because it hits the plastic. They almost got a hole in one, but after it ricocheted out of that hole and rolled into the sand pit, now they're getting a bogey on a par three. I don't want to almost get a hole in one. I want to get there all the way. Someone say, praise the Lord. I'm just about done. Let me hurry up. It's, it's 238. That's a good sign, eh? John 5, 4. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool, troubled the water, Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole in whatsoever disease he had. Man, that's so cool. Can you imagine, you know, like Lake Pelican actually having some sort of healing virtue in it instead of swampy, nasty, murky, muddy appearance and rotting smell. God bless Compesca and Pelican. Two wonderful great lakes of South Dakota. There was a body of water that the Bible gives no rhyme or reason about other than an angel of the Lord would sweep by and there would be a stirring of the water. And the first person that dipped into that water would be healed instantaneously. 
And so there was a man there, and he had a sickness for 38 years. And when Jesus saw this man, and I don't know if he's been laying there all 38 years, but it's probably been a good chunk of time. And Jesus saw him, and he knew and that he had now been there a long time. So we don't know if it's been the full 38 years, but when Jesus recognizes someone's been doing something a long time, it means a long time. And so Jesus obviously sees that this guy has been going after this a long time and says, don't you want to be complete? Don't you want to be healed? Don't you want to be made whole? And that man answers, I have no man. I have nobody. I'm so close to this water. I'm almost there. I almost get my healing every time. But I need somebody to get me there. I'm almost healed. I'm almost delivered. I'm almost free. Man, what a miserable place to live for 38 years. Can you imagine 38 years, once a year, twice a year, however many times that angel would come by that water. You almost get your healing. You almost get your breakthrough. You almost get set free from drugs. You almost get set free from alcohol. You almost see your family come together. You almost get the Holy Ghost. You almost have your prayer answered. Can you imagine living that way for 38 years? I would not be satisfied with almost. But this statement from the man It's intriguing to me for he says, I have no man. I'm almost there, but I need someone to take me there. I'm almost there, but I need someone to take me there. It's almost like I'm almost a disciple, but I need a disciple to take me there. Would you take me to that place of deeper consecration and more sincere devotion, more faithfulness? Would you take me there? I've almost been awesome for God, but I need someone to take me there. It's like Acts chapter 8, verse 30 and 31. Philip, the evangelist, he's preaching the gospel and God takes him to this desert place and he sees an Ethiopian eunuch in a chariot. This is a very powerful man that has great influence and great authority and great finance. Not many people had cars in those days, but this guy's strolling around in a chariot with authority from the uh, leadership of Ethiopia. And this Ethiopian eunuch, Phil, Philip runs to him and he sees that he's reading the prophet Isaiah. And he says, do you understand what you're reading? He says, I, I almost kind of, sort of, not really understand what I'm reading. But how can I unless somebody should guide me? Something's got to rise up inside of us. After 38 years coming to church, after 38 years knowing tradition, after 38 years living in addiction, after 38 years believing in Jesus but not really experiencing the power of Jesus. Does something ever get to you like, man, I've almost seen something in the Bible happen in my life. I've almost had a prayer answered. I don't want to live that way. I want someone to guide me. I want someone to pick me up and put me in the pool. I want someone to pick me up and put me in the baptistry. I want someone to pick me up and put me in the altar. I don't want to almost be a Christian, but what a, what an amazing testament to this Ethiopian eunuch, an in, influential, a very intellectual, smart man. He is humble enough to say, look, I know, I know all the writings of Ethiopia. I sit in the royal throne area. I, 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 I'm even rich enough to carry around. He was carrying around his own scroll. That is extremely rare in those days for him to have access to that. That's amazing. 
And even though he had actually, see, in the way back when this was not a, a jab at any denomination, please do not take offense to this. But back in the day, it's basically just the Catholics that had the Bible chained to a pulpit, and no one could understand it except for the priests that could read Latin, and no one else understood Latin. They would forbid people. And so they would think, we're the only ones that can correctly interpret this. So now rewind and take this Ethiopian that has a rare access to a copy of Scripture. People don't just go walking around with copies of Scripture back in those days. He has access to it. And he doesn't say, well, I got the Bible and you don't. Where's your scroll? No, he says, I need someone. Someone teach me. Someone make me a disciple. I humble myself and I ask you, I want to be one, but I need you to make me one in order for me to be one. Would you teach me a Bible study? Can we join ourselves together and you expound? And you might think you know a little bit about Scripture, but he's reading the prophecy of Isaiah and he can't see anything. It's like looking through a glass darkly. But the preacher, the disciple maker shows up on the scene and he says, oh, that's Jesus. It's talking about Jesus. It's talking about Jesus Christ and him crucified. And at the end of that, that man who was not a disciple became a disciple, for he was baptized in the glorious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, it's not insulting to find instruction. It's not insulting for you to say, I need a teacher. This was a high-level functioning influencer asking for help. He didn't want to live almost any longer. You want to talk about an almost guy. This guy could almost have kids, but he can't have kids because he's an Ethiopian eunuch. He cannot do things that he would like to do. He could not live the way that people would like to live. He's been living almost his whole life. He was forced into this position. He was forced in this kind of lifestyle. But I don't want to be forced just because my dad's an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic. Just because my parents were slaves, now I'm a slave. He who the son is set free is free indeed. God's about to set someone free here today. God's about to forever change the course of someone's life today. Oh, come on. Would you lift your hands to the Lord? Would you lift your voice to Jesus Christ? Hallelujah. I don't want to live an almost life. Almost fruitful. Almost productive. Almost a Christian. No, I want to be a Christian. I want to be fruitful. I want to be productive for God. Someone say almost Christian. Hallelujah. Just like LeBron James trying to slam dunk. He almost did, but he didn't. At least in this picture above for all those LeBron worshipers. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. The conclusion of Jesus' life on earth. He says, go to the whole world. Preach the gospel to every creature. That even means South Dakota. The forgotten, the frozen chosen. God even said, I want to make sure you get that. That, that God-forsaken land too. Reach South Dakota. Reach North Dakota. Reach that region. You got enough Bible Belt? Let's, let's reach the turtleneck. And so he says here, go everywhere and preach this. And he that believes and is baptized is going to be saved. And he that believes not shall be damned. See, Jesus begins to expound on what a believer is. A believer believes. A believer is baptized. And he says, these signs shall follow them that believe. This is the evidence that you are a believer. In the name of Jesus, you're going to cast out devils. You'll get evil stuff out of your life. You're going to speak with new tongues. That's what the Holy Ghost is all about, speaking in other tongues. He says, look, if, if something dangerous comes your way, God can protect you and prevent you from being hurt. 
He's not saying intentionally playing with snakes. That's not what this scripture is talking about. But there's some harmful things that could happen that God can protect you. Here would be an example. My, my, uh, a pastor friend of mine in Minnesota, we were uh, preaching the PK retreat in Minnesota these past couple days. And I was talking to a childhood friend who's a pastor in Mankato, Jeremy Cox. And he was telling me a story about his brother who was my youth leader. That he, he, he had a ladder. And in our church, we had a, the baptistry was in the back. There's a hollowed out place. And it went, it went pretty high. I don't know, maybe uh, 20, 30 feet in the air, this hollowed place uh, uh, that was cut out. And we had these big, long curtains there. And he, I can't, he was trying to paint the upper region of the building. And uh, so he got a ladder, but it was, it was completely uh, hollow. So you couldn't really lean a ladder there. It wasn't long enough. So what they did on the the place it went in further they 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 got a ladder behind the baptistry and tacked a nail and they set a two by four there and 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 brought it all the way across and tapped the nail there and so they could lean the ladder on there so he could paint so 30 feet in the air painting leaning on a two by four between uh am i painting an okay picture does that make sense all right most of you guys look at me like i'm short or something and so anyways he um he, he's standing on the very top ream of the ladder, leaning and painting the wall. He finishes the job, he heads out, and then my pastor, he, he, he goes in there to take the two-by-four down. And so he gets up on the other side, sets the ladder up, and as he does that, he notices the two-by-four was never nailed in. It was just resting on the nail to keep it level, and the person went to get more nails to nail the two-by-four in. And so he's standing on that top ream ladder, leaning against the two-by-four. He said, that's impossible. He wasn't tempting the Lord for fun. But God has the ability to protect people in your daily lives that you may never even be aware of. You could be walking down the street, and that drunk driver should have hit you, but the angel of the Lord protect you. And, you know, the day and age we live in eating that kind of fast food that we eat, God's probably protected and prevented a lot of diseases that should have dropped us dead after a Big Mac. But God is so gracious and so kind. Someone say amen. And so we go, I don't know how I got on that rant and rave, but here we go. And he says this, you lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. I promise you I'm just about done. Jesus did not leave the disciples hanging as he went back up into heaven. He did not want to almost reach the world. Jesus gave them the full gospel and the definition of it and what a believer was. Jesus didn't just want to almost reach the world with an incomplete gospel, but he expounded what this gospel does, what this gospel is, and what the definition of a believer is. He says a believer repents. A believer is baptized. A believer gets sin out of their life. A believer casts those devils out. A believer, he is someone that has been speaking in tongues as the Spirit of God gives the information influence and the ability. God gave us the full understanding and revelation so we don't almost become Christians, but so we can fully become Christians and walk in this newness of life. And so Jesus, as he heads out, the church starts in Acts chapter two. They're all filled with the Holy Ghost. They begin speaking in other tongues. Who's the one that said they're going to do that? 
Jesus. He says, and they shall speak with new tongues. And in verse 36, as the church is birthed, Peter preaches. He says, look, this Jesus who you crucified, he's the most important commandment of the whole Bible. He is Lord. He is God. He is the supreme being in authority. And you rejected him as your Messiah. And so when they heard this, they feel guilty. And they say, what do we do? And Peter doesn't just stop at John 3.16, though John 3.16 is part of the package. But in John 3.16, you read the preceding verses. Jesus said, you must be born again of water and spirit. He says, yeah, you got to believe in me to have everlasting life. But when you believe in me, I'm going to lead you to water and I'm going to lead you to spirit so you can have that everlasting life. Someone say, praise the Lord. So Peter says, look, you got to repent. You got to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? To wash away those sins that you just repented of. And God's going to give you a gift called the Holy Ghost. And this promise isn't just for people in the New Testament back 2,000 years ago, but today it's for you, for your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Someone say almost Christian. You'll see a couple people here. There's more, but I'm just going to read these two occasions. People that were almost Christian. And here we have a man, Apollos. He's a mighty man. He's eloquent, mighty in scriptures. He's a great preacher. And the Bible says that he only knew the baptism of John. He was passionate, but he only knew a certain type of baptism. He was almost a Christian, but he still was a disciple of another movement. But I don't want to be a part of just a tradition or another movement or something that's faded away. I want to be a part of this Jesus movement. I want to be a part of what Jesus is doing, continuing the New Testament. And so in verse 26, Aquila and Priscilla, they take this man uh, to them and they expound the way of God more perfectly. They take this man that's mighty in scriptures, that knows the word of God, and they take him aside and say, there's more than what you're experiencing. There's more than what you're experiencing. I got something better for you. I know that you are, you are discipled in this way, but I don't want you to almost get to heaven. I don't want you to almost, you know, live for God. I don't want you to almost get close to Jesus. I want you to be immersed in the name of Jesus. And so they took him to the side, and they made him a disciple. And when he became became a disciple. He began to make disciples and he went out preaching and teaching this truth. Someone clap your hands to the Lord. In verse one of Acts 19 is as if the same theme continues. They find certain disciples. This is Paul. He finds disciples. He finds believers. And he says, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? I know you believe, but have you had the separate experience of receiving the Holy Ghost since you believe? I know you felt the spirit of God, but have you been filled with the spirit of God? There's two separate experiences that God wants a believer to have. God wants you to believe and feel the presence of God. But he wants you not to just almost get filled with the presence of God. God wants to fill you with the Holy Ghost. And God will let you know when he has taken control of your heart. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When the spirit of God is in that heart, you can't help but worship God in an unknown tongue as the spirit of God gives you the utterance. And so we read here that he asked that question. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they're like, I've never heard of this speaking in tongues. I've never heard of this Holy Ghost stuff. And then he goes, how were you baptized? 
They said, we were baptized into John's baptism. He goes, ah, okay, okay, that's good. You, you learned about repentance. But I, I don't want you just to repent and almost get to heaven. There's more for you. There's more for you. And so he kept teaching them and talking about the ways of Jesus. And the Bible says after that Bible study, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. And when they were baptized in the name of Jesus, the Bible says they were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and spake with other tongues. I want us to lift our hands here. I'm, I, I promise you, I'm, I'm wrapping up right now, but I want us to lift our hands. I want us to invite the presence of the Lord here. God's here, but I want you to let him know and inform him that you desire more of him in this place right now. Come on, would you lift your voice? As your hands are up, would your voice go up? In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, Lord, pour out your spirit right now. Lord, we invite you to come into this place. Open up the roof of this church and open up the windows of heaven. And God, set up a ladder between heaven and earth. And may the angels of the Lord right now ascend and descend upon this place, God. I pray the holiest of holies, God, would just fill this room right now. Your very grace, your very mercy, your very presence. In Jesus' name, would you clap your hands to the Lord. Almost Christian. Whatever you think you know about Christianity. Don't be almost informed of all of Christianity. I promise you there's more. There's more. Here's another case of almost. In Judges chapter 12 and verse 5. Jephthah captures this this, uh, area of the Jordan River where people were crossing. It was shallow. So they could run back and forth on uh, through the Jordan. And whenever a fugitive from Ephraim tried to go back across, the men of Gilead would challenge him. So you, you have these men of Gilead that were at this shallow crossing of the river. They knew that the, the children of Ephraim were going to try to cross through there because you couldn't cross on the deeper parts. It was a very intense river. But they, they guarded that area. And so when these children of Ephraim would come, is like almost having to pay your, pay the toll. And they would ask the children of Ephraim, or they would ask actually everyone that came through, and they would say, are you a member of the tribe of Ephraim? Because there was basically a warrant for their death. And and the man that was an Ephraimite would say, no, 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 no. I'm not an Ephraimite. I'm not from North Dakota. No, 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 no. I am, I am, I am South Dakotan. And so they're like, ah, okay, you're from... You're from South Dakota. Then this is what I want you to say. I want you to say Shibboleth. And if he was from Ephraim, he would say Sibboleth. Because people from Ephraim could not pronounce the word correctly. It's just because uh, it's just like what they would do for me. If I was trying to cross over into South Dakota from Illinois, I was raised in a, a, a Chicagoland area where there's Na- Navy Pier. And so if I wanted to get into South Dakota and they say, are you from are you from a a different state? Are you from Illinois? I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not from Illinois. I'm from South Dakota. Oh, really? The name, the state capital. And I would say Pierre. Because I could not frame my mouth to say Pierre, because I know that it's P.I.E.R.R.E. A French establishment. It is Pierre. And so they would say, ah, you're not South Dakota. And you would say Pierre if it was. And then they would chop my head off. That is exactly what happened in this portion of Scripture. And check this out. Forty 
2,000 people were killed because they did not say peer. They would say Sibboleth instead of Shibboleth. And they 42,000 people lost their lives because they almost pronounced it correct. Let's stand together. I don't want to almost pronounce it correct. I don't want to almost baptize somebody correct. I don't want to almost believe the Bible correctly. I don't want to almost be a Christian. I don't want to almost get healed. I don't want to almost be delivered. I don't want to almost be saved. I don't want to almost get to heaven and listen to me, Watertown. I don't want to be a church that almost had revival. I want revival. We are going to have revival. We are going to have a breakthrough in the Holy Ghost and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. I'm done and tired of being a church of almost. It's time that we seize the moment that we break forth in Jesus name. Someone shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands. Come on. Let's lift our hands. I don't want to almost have revival. Come on, we've been here before. We've been at times and places where God began to move and we almost had a breakthrough. But I don't want to almost have a breakthrough today. I want to break forth today in Jesus' name. I don't want to almost get a prayer answer today. I want my prayer answer today. I don't want to almost get healed today. I want to be healed today. I don't want to almost get the Holy Ghost today. I want to get the Holy Ghost today. I don't want to almost be forgiven of my sins. I want my sins washed away in Jesus' name. Come on, lift up your voice, church. Hallelujah. 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 The only almost that God is interested in having in your life is Psalm 94 and verse 17. Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul had almost dwelt in silence. I almost been a worshipless Christian. I almost been a prayerless Christian. But God's not going to leave your soul in silence anymore. You almost were a quiet person the rest of your life. But God has filled you with joy, unspeakable, and full of glory. God's about to have rivers of living water flow through this church in the name of Jesus. If you're here today and I'm talking to you and you feel that you've lived a life of almost, you almost were sober. You almost were, uh, lived a life clean and free. You almost broke free from the, the chains of darkness. You almost broke that addiction. You almost quit being uh, addicted to pornography. You almost broke free from alcohol. You almost broke free from marijuana. You almost were clean for a year. I'm telling you today is the last day of almost from here on out. God's about to set someone free. God's about to fill someone with the Holy in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus.